the hope that we need, it lies in Jesus. He is the very root of the hope for this world. Not just the hope for the Christians, but he is the hope for the world. The world itself has no hope at all apart from Jesus. If this is as good as you want it, or this is as good as you expected to ever get, it's got to be something miserable about that. There has to be. I can say that because I've lived there. To where I had nothing beyond this world to look for or to look forward to, and I found I was miserable. When we think about this idea of hope, Ravi Zacharias, he said, hope is that indispensable element that makes the present so important. Significantly, the absence of future hope has an amazing capacity to reach into the present and eat away at the structure of life as termites would a giant foundation. Here, this great author and this great writer, this, this defender of our faith, he is saying that having hope that doesn't go beyond this world, not having a future hope, will do more, no more than destroy us in this world. Can you see there where the people who are lost today, people who are far from God today are? They're at the verge of destroying their own selves because they have no future hope. When we look here in this text, Isaiah is prophesying during the time when, when the northern kingdom has been, has been taken captive. And he is prophesying to the southern kingdom. And as he's prophesying to them, he's wanting to encourage them. And he's wanting to warn them that destruction's coming their way also. When we look here, the Bible tells us in chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. And here... In this passage, we find that Isaiah is offering up hope for those people who are going to soon face a hopeless time. He says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and, and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by sight at, of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be, his, shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. This is God's written word. Pray with us. God, we thank you. We praise you. We lift you up for your word and the hope that your word provides. God, we, we love you this day because you first loved us. And God, you have loved us unconditionally. You have loved us in spite of ourselves. 
And God, the best that we can give you is a conditional love because we love you only because you first loved us. Now, God, we pray that you would be with us, that you would lead God and direct us, that you would help us to love you for who you are, that you would help us to love you because you are God and beside you there is no other. Help us, God, to not only love you in word, but love you in deed, that we would show to this world your hands and your feet, that when people see us, that they wouldn't see us, but they would see your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that if there's any today who doesn't know you for the forgiveness of their sin, that today they would call out to you. For God, we know that if they call upon you, you will not only hear them, but you will answer. So God, we pray that you have your way in this service and throughout the remainder of this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we think about all that's taking place in this life we're living in, when we're aware of conflict and strife, we're aware of war and, and terror attacks, we're aware of murder and uh, all the things that we're facing in this fallen world, it reminds us of just how fallen this world actually is. No community can escape the criminal behavior of sinful hearts. We can say, people can say what they want to say about Robinson County. They can say what they want to say about Roland and Fairmont or what they want to say about Chapel and Pembroke and Prospect. They can say what they want about, about our communities, but I want you to know there's no community in the world that can escape criminal behavior because it's born out of the sinful hearts of men and women. Despite what peace and comfort we experience from time to time, our communities are, are filled with crime, corruption, and wickedness. They're filled with evil. Families are ripped apart by divorce. Neighbors are alienated from one another due to petty differences. Coworkers are jealous and prejudiced toward fellow coworkers. And with all of this going on, it's easy to see that there's very little peace and harmony in this world. With society, within the society that we're living in, the hearts of people, there's a longing for peace and harmony. You know, contrary to popular opinion, I've heard preachers say it, and I, I believe they say it to justify themselves. I've heard people say that people just don't want to hear the word of God anymore. And I just don't believe that. I believe we're living in a time where they are desperate to hear the word of God. You know what time we're living in? The world knows what the church stands against. What the world is failing to see is what we stand for. And that's an indictment upon us. It's easy to see what we stand against. We stand in a pulpit like this and we shout it from the mountaintop, everything that we stand against. And when we try to tell people what we stand for, we're living contrary to those words. And then we want to justify it and say, and I'm talking about us preachers, we want to justify it and say, well, people just don't want to hear the word of God. You know what I've come to find out? Maybe they don't want to hear it the way we're presenting it. Say Amen. amen. 
We've got, we've got some of our preachers that we're so judgmental. We're, we're like the Pharisees to where we're, we're preaching with our noses stuck so high up in the air that we're no good to nobody. And we can't even see our own flaws. Uh, if you watch much television, you'll see a lot of that. If that's the preaching you're depending on in this life, you'll see much of that. But you know, the good news is there's hope. <laughs> there's hope pr promised to us even in this world. Revelation 21 and 5 tells us that he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these things are true and faithful. You know, when I got a hold of that and that become real in my life, that my hope isn't waiting for then. My hope is right now because now my hope is in the future. My hope is not in the present. In Revelation 21, 1 through 4, the Lord promises a day which there be no more war or conflict. He promises a day when man and creation will be in harmony with one another and also in harmony with God. This will take place when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he returns to set his kingdom up. Aren't you looking forward to that? Boy, that alone is enough to get us through whatever this life throws at us. And when we look in this passage today, we begin to see that we can keep our mind focused upon the prophecy of the, this coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, what we find, we have a hope in a Savior that has come. Now, when we read this passage, we're thinking of of Isaiah prophesying about the coming of Jesus. But as you look further through the passage, you see he prophesying about a time after his birth. But what I do know is that we have a hope because our Savior has come. We have a hope because he has been born in this world. This passage of Scripture is it clear, clearly speaking of the Messiah when we look there in verse 1. In verse 1 he says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of its roots. Right there in there, that may confuse you at times. And depending on, depending on what translation you read, you're going to see instead of stem, you'll see a, a stump or, or or you see a shoot, and you'll see, or, and here where you see a branch shall grow, you're seeing other words. And, but I want to let you know right here, he's speaking, he's speaking of our Savior, he's speaking of the Messiah. Isaiah speaks of the rod that comes from the stem of Jesse. That that rod is the is that the the lineage or the descendants of Jesse. King David was the youngest son of Jesse and it was during his reign as king that Israel reached its peak of righteousness and justice. Can you imagine that? With all the flaws in David's life and we've preached through those some years ago but with all the flaws in his life the peak of righteousness and justice for Israel was when he sat on the throne. But here we find that the word stem it indicates that David's lineage of royal power would be cut off. Now when we look here, he's telling us there's a stem. Instead of saying there's a tree because this was a, a big strong tree, now he's letting us know there is a, a, a stem. In other words, a root of it. Here, um, 
What's left of the tree of Jesse is this stem or this stump. Jesse's royal line would be cut off so that, that only the stump or the stem would remain. And the remaining descendants of Jesse that were alive even when Jesus was born were living in obscurity. They, this celebrated family line that David, King David, came through is now an average undistinguished family. If we remember when Mary and Joseph were born, uh, they came, or when Mary and Joseph came in on the scene, that they come from the lineage of David. But both Mary and Joseph were of no popularity. The most said about Mary was that she was a virgin. The most said about Joseph is that he was a just man. Now, today, in our communities, that would say a lot. That would put us, you know, a step above some, some in the minds of people. When the one thing that, a, that can be said about a maiden is that she is a virgin. That holds high esteem in our lives. And if you don't hold high esteem in your life, it should. It means something that somebody would save themselves until God would ordain a marriage for them. Amen. Here, not only that, we find that the only thing really said about Joseph is that he is a just man. Now that would mean a lot because you know what matters in this world is if you keep your word, your integrity. If you don't have character or integrity, then you've got nothing. You really mean nothing on your job. You mean nothing in your church. You mean nothing in your family if you have no integrity or no character. And here the Bible says, the Bible teaches us the most that said about Joseph is that he was a just man. Now, we got to look at this from Jesse's lineage, from David's royal line. This isn't saying much at all about these two when you consider that they're royalty. Now, if you go talk about Queen Elizabeth's family, they're going to speak in eloquent words and, and there are things that this family is privy to that no one else is privy to and it's going gonna, it's gonna to go right down the generations and, and that youngest son of hers is, is really confused of people because he decided he was going to marry someone he fell in love with rather than someone that he was set up with and, and we see all through the media how their lives are played out and we look at that and we see it as being royalty and that's what we think it should have been as you're thinking of David's life but it come to a in other words, it was cut off. It was cut off. What was a tree is now just a stump. Can you imagine the one that Isaiah prophesied about in chapter 9 in verses 6 and 7? Wherein, when he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government would be upon his shoulder, and his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end. Upon the throne of David, over his kingdoms, and to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When we read that, you would think, how could David's lineage, or how could Jesse's lineage ever be cut off? Well, we see that it was cut off. Because the lowly birth of our Savior shows us it was cut off. But you know what that lowly birth of our Savior did? It brought hope into this world. That the same... It brought such hope that in the same country of his birth, 
There were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And out of nowhere, an angel shone upon them. Or the angel appeared before them and the great glory of God shone round about them. You've read that in the scripture. The Bible says that they were afraid. The angel's message to the shepherds was that there was no need for them to be afraid because on that day in the city of David, the Savior was born in a lowly manger, in a barn filled with animals where he had nothing to be laid in but a feeding trough. Here the Savior of the world was born And it brought great hope to these shepherds. They were filled with such hope that they'd done what shepherds don't do. They left their flock. They flew. They they got away from them. They went to go see about the Savior. I've told y'all this story before, and this has just come to me now. So I I guess God wants me to share it for those who haven't heard it. But there was a time when when I went camping. (laughs) When the church would go on the camping trip, I went camping. There was two or three years that that me and my family, we'd done that. that, And I've just learned that I like the comfort of my home. Well, we we went camping, and I think it was the second year we were out in a boat. Brother Eugene was on the boat, Miss Hannah, Brother Mike, Miss Miss Sue, and, and and I were on the boat. There were five of us on the boat in four life jackets. And, and all of a sudden, we had been all over that lake. And as we are coming back, we, uh, we realized, well, I woke up because I had dozed off sitting at the, at the back and at the top in that seat. I, I had dozed off. And, and all of a sudden, I look, and there's water coming in the boat. We get directly across from the pier. And we can't go no further because water has filled up to the brim. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had no buckets in the boat to dip water out. We did get on the, on, the, uh, on the side to where we could get out of the boat, but we're standing in knee-deep water, and the boat is covered with water. And all of a sudden, this big pontoon boat comes. And it comes, it says, well, what we'll do, we'll carry some of you over across the lake and, and let you off, and you can make a call. And they said, preacher, how about you going and you go make that call. And I looked around. And it had to be the Lord because I don't think very quickly on my feet. I said, no, we're going to send Miss Hannah and Miss Sue across. For something, I had this image in my mind that as soon as I got on that boat, it was going to be said, look, the shepherd has left his sheep. And they're in trouble. Here, <laughs> here no, I wouldn't go. I sent them. We did make it across, evidently, because we're here. But, but here, what we find is these shepherds, they left their sheep because they were told the Savior was there. The Savior had been born. When they went, they were filled with such hope. And they found this babe in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. After seeing this newborn Savior, the shepherds returned to their fields. The Bible says, praising and glorifying God for all they had seen and heard. Why? Because now they're not only shepherds out in the field, but they're shepherds with a hope. Their their hope was in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And because our Savior has been born in this world, we can now experience a new birth and all the hope that that brings. What is is this about, this this new birth that brings hope? Along with the new birth, there's a hope for a better life to come, a hope for eternity spent in the presence of God. At the birth of a newborn baby, there's an excitement and hope 
fills the family as this family starts thinking about all the joy this baby is going to bring. They have a hope that this, this baby is going to grow up and be successful and bring much joy to the family. And this baby is going to accomplish all that God has for it to accomplish. That's a hope that we have when that newborn baby is born. But when we've been born again, I want to tell you, when somebody new comes into the family of God, the family of God begins to rejoice. You know why we rejoice? Because we have a hope in this person who's, who once was lost is now is found. He was once dead in the trespass of his sins and now he's been made alive to live forevermore. He was once blind but now he can see and we're just looking forward to what God does in their lives. It's a hope that comes to us. Now you may be, you who are far from God, you may be saying, well, you've never felt like praising and rejoicing and glorifying God. You may, what may have you thinking this is that you thinking that you've never experienced God. You thinking that I haven't felt his presence. You know, I, I asked one person some time ago, many years ago, how, what are you expecting? Well, they're expecting something to just happen. So you're expecting when you, before you get saved, <laughs> that God's going to do something that's going to be so outstanding that you're going to know that you need to get saved. He said, yeah, something like that. Well, the Bible teaches us that he's not always in the storm. <laughs> the Bible teaches us that in the thunder and lightning, he's not always there. In the wind, he's not always there, but it's a still, small voice. And I, I think that we've got it backwards. For you who are far from God, I want you to hear this. I think sometimes we've got it backwards. It's once you step out in faith and give your life to Christ, because it is a walk of faith, not a walk of feelings. But I believe once you give your life to him in faith, because he's told you his Holy Spirit has beckoned you by just letting you know that you need to be saved. It's after then that you start feeling this overwhelming power of emotion. I want to tell you that's why people weep. That's why people shout. That's why people run. That's why people call and tell others. It's not because of what God did before they got saved, but it's what God did as they were getting saved. And if you'll trust him, he'll start working on you the moment you step out in faith. And before you'd get here, he'd already be done a work in you. But you'd have to believe him. Why? Because the Savior has already come. Yeah, we've had this backwards for years. But it's possible. It's possible for you to experience this overwhelming emotion when you receive Jesus because he's already come. We're not... We're not serving a dead God. We're serving one who's alive and well. This very one born in humble surroundings of a stable, surrounded by animals, with nothing to be laid in but a feeding trough. He grew to be a strong branch, which bore much fruit. So we see that there's not only hope in the fact that he has come, there was hope... In, there's hope in the spirit that rests upon him. There's hope in the spirit that rests upon our Savior. The spirit of the Lord did rest upon him. 
And as he did, it fully equipped him to fulfill his task here on earth. When we look at the life of Jesus, we find this to be true. When Jesus was only 12 years of age, he went with his family to Jerusalem to observe the Passover feast. And when the family left to head back home, they were a day's journey away when they realized he wasn't with them. There ain't a mother alive <laughs> that's not going to know that their child's not right there if they're in the midst of a crowd today. But they were a full day's journey when they realized he wasn't there. On the third day, they found him in the temple. When they found him sitting with the teachers, Luke says in, in 2 and 47 that all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus was filled, was filled with wisdom. He was filled with understanding, counsel, and might. He was filled with knowledge and fear of the Lord. And we see that right here in the prophecy of Isaiah in verse 2. We see that prophecy right there. But he was filled with this. And we know this because prior to his baptism, John declared... <laughs> Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 1 and 32, John also said after baptizing him that he bore witness to the fact that he saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. Folks, we have the hope of this same Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God resting with us. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God is quickened within us. He's made alive within us to dwell with us. And while he dwells with us, he bears witness to us that we are the children of God. He guides us day by day. He reveals the truth of God's word to us and he comforts and convicts us. I, I imagine it was awfully comforting to Brother Marcus this morning when he woke up and he was, he was reassured by the Holy Spirit of God that he was a child of God. He had been forgiven and he was no longer who he once was. There's something about Jesus that drew people to him and it was the Spirit of God resting upon him. He was different. He was unique. He was set apart. He was holy. Where others were with him, they were filled with hope. And he's called us to be holy. Now, right there, that will stump you sometimes. You may be wondering, well, how can we be holy? Well, we're never going to be sinless in this life. But we can be different. We can be set apart. We can be unique. Romans 12 and 2 tells us that uh, do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The spirit of the Lord resting upon Jesus was seen at its greatest from the garden of Gethsemane to the cross of Calvary. For Jesus to say, not my will, but thine be done. For him to endure the whipping post. For him to carry his own cross. For him to allow them to nail him to a tree. For, them to allow, for him to allow them to suspend him between heaven and earth. It was all possible because of the spirit of God who rests upon him. Listen, I don't know how you read that account in Gethsemane. But I want to assure you Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. 
Amen. He wanted nothing to do with that cross. Amen. But not, nevertheless, not his will, but God's be done. Folks, I want to tell you, when God is telling us what to do, and for us to say, well, I wouldn't do that, but God, you've called me to that, so that's what I'm going to do. It's only by the Spirit of God. Yeah. We can't do it within ourselves. I want us to remember, Jesus could have cried out. He could have cried out, and 12,000 angels would have come to his rescue. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26 and 53, or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? If he would have called for it, God would have sent it. But he loved the Lord so much that it wasn't about his will. It was about God's will. When Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, when he stood before the court of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire at the German nation, he stood there to be excommunicated from the church, Roman Catholic Church, but he also stood there to be executed. If you study history, he, he, if you study history, what you'll find about Martin Luther is that as a Roman Catholic monk, Studying the scriptures, he found error in the Catholic way of life. What he found was the grace of God. And when he found the grace of God in the book of Romans and the book of, uh, I think it was Galatians, when he found the grace of God in these two books, he started challenging the Roman Catholic Church. And as he challenged them, he he began to write his own writings, his own books. And, and they got a hold of some of these books. And as they got a hold of these books, they declared that this, these writings can't get out. These writings go against what we teach. So therefore, they were saying the writings were in error. So when they asked Martin Luther to come before them and acknowledge his authorship to his list of writings, he did. He acknowledged that he wrote them. He was then asked if he was willing to recant the errors contained in them. Unwilling to just answer on the fly, he asked for 24 hours. History tells us that in those 24 hours, he agonized all night long with God. He could recant, his life would be spared, his life in the Roman Catholic Church would continue and things would be well. Or he could refuse. He would be excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church and barring a miracle, he would die. This request was granted. The following day, the, the examination reconvened. And while facing the possibility of death, Luther replied, this was his answer to them. Your imperial majesty and your lordships demand a simple answer. Here it is, plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convicted of error by the testimony of scripture or by manifest reasoning, I stand convicted or convinced 
by the scriptures to which I have appealed. And my conscience is taken captive by God's word. Oh, how much more beautiful could he have written it? He goes on to say, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. And all this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. Only by the spirit of God could he have the, the courage and the strength to stand before a chopping block and, and declare that he would not recant the truth of God's holy word. Folks, we have a hope of this same spirit. The Holy Spirit of God resting upon us. This same spirit that he gives us, it will strengthen and encourage us. It will give us all that we need to stand for him in this sin-cursed world. This spirit that rests within us, it carries us when we are weak. It shelters us in our times of trouble. This same spirit goes with us. Wherever we are. Psalm 140, 139, 7 through 10, the Bible says, Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Oh, we can rest in the spirit of God that dwells within us. Oh, what hope. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that gives me a great hope that no matter what this world throws at me, <laughs> I've got the spirit of God with me. No matter what mistake I've made, the spirit of God will pick me up and he'll put me on a solid foundation. And he'll order my steps. No matter how many times I've turned my back on him, he's right there to say, I'm still here. Follow me. Yes, I'm so encouraged of the hope that the Spirit of God gives us. I don't know where you've been, I don't know what you've done, but trust me, the Spirit of God is real, and he will help you in your time of trouble. Last thing I want us to notice we see in verses three through five is that there's hope in the return of our Savior. Here's where it seems Isaiah wanted to really get to. He's not only talking about the coming of the birth of Christ, but he's also coming, he's, he's talking about the kingdom where Christ sets up his kingdom. You know, that's where our hope lies, isn't it? Our hope doesn't only lie in Jesus' birth. Our hope doesn't only lie in the fact that he, he lived, he grew to be strong. Our hope, it didn't come to an end with the life of our Savior. Our hope didn't come to an end with the death of our Savior. It didn't come to an end with the resurrection of our Savior. As a matter of fact, we have a grand and glorious hope for the return of our Savior. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping for that. That's why Easter is my favorite holiday. I shared that with you last week. It's because Jesus is coming back, and that's what we're celebrating at Easter, that he not only arose from the grave, but he went away to be with the Father, and he's coming back to receive us unto himself. Oh, when I look toward that, it reminds me 
Not to worry about what happens in this world. It's temporary. But there's something permanent on its way. Jesus will return. He will establish a true righteousness and justice. When we look in this passage, he delights in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of, of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt, which shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Jesus is not going to judge us based on an imperfect knowledge. You know, that's what happens today in the court of law. It's an imperfect knowledge that these judges sit with based upon what they've studied and what they reason to be right. But when Jesus sits on his throne, the judge of all judges. <laughs> it, there won't be any question of whether or not his knowledge is not right. It's an imperfect knowledge. He will not judge by words of witnesses. He will not um, be bought nor swayed by public opinion. He will not show partiality. Instead, every judgment will be based upon true justice. And he will slay the wicked with the very breath of his mouth. Revelation 19 and 15 says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Our Lord and Savior will wear righteousness and faithfulness as a belt. Listen, you know what a belt's designed for? I wish we'd tell every teenage boy that. What they're designed for? They're designed to hold things up. They're designed to not let things go sagging, not, thing, not let things get lax, but they're to hold things in their place. And his righteousness and his judgment will be held in its proper place. They're going to be held up. We're living in an imperfect world. Our society is anything but righteous. We're living in a society gripped by the spirit of lawlessness and wicked behavior. Nevertheless, we as believers are to do all that we can to establish a moral and just society to bring God's kingdom to earth. His kingdom is the rule, uh, is the rule of righteousness, love, joy, peace, peace among nations, peace within the, heart, the hearts of men, men, women, boys and girls. We can't make any greater contribution to society than to live and to teach righteousness for in doing so we bring peace to this world Matthew 5 and 9 says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God how do we do this we do this in light by living in light of the hope that we have in our Savior's return in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we live on earth as we will live in heaven. Now, I know that we can't exactly do that, but we can shadow it, can't we? We live victoriously here on earth. Well, it's a sad thing when we as Christians are living defeated. We don't have to live defeated. We live victorious. We've already won. We live joyful. We live with peace. We live with love. And this is called living with hope. We can live with hope because Jesus is the root of our hope. Amen. For you who are far from God, when you put your faith in 
a Savior, the Savior who was born on earth. He will fill you with the spirit of hope and the spirit will abide with you till you return to your Savior. My question is today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you today put your faith, would you today put your hope in Jesus Christ? Would you today acknowledge he's the only help that you have in this world? He was born, (laughs) and now we can be reborn. The Spirit of God descended upon him. And once we're reborn, he'll come alive in us. And he'll lead us. He'll guide us until his return. And at his return, we'll dwell with him for all eternity. Oh, what hope we have in Jesus. Oh, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're missing out. You're living beneath your privilege. Oh, why don't you quit living for yourself and begin living with hope?